Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey guys, it's Anna David here. I am doing something I have never done before. That sounds so exciting. But all I really mean is that the guest, my guest just left. And I'm just recording the intro and outro now. I was so excited. It was such a good conversation that it's like, well, usually what I'll do is I'll take the interview and I'll put it on my computer and then I'll do something else, and I then I I know I have to do the intro and the outro, and I'm like, oh, I should think about it, I should do it later, and then I do 17 or 170 other things, and then three days later, I'm like, oh, fuck, I never did the intro. So I figured the recording equipment is sitting right here, and he was so great and so fun, and I love interviewing anybody for this podcast, but it's fun, it's especially fun when it's somebody that um, that I'm really excited about, and um. Oh, should I get in? I'm just trying to think. Before I build up to that, I'm just trying to think if there's anything I need to talk to you guys about. Um, Well, he and I got into this in the interview, but definitely, definitely having an interesting experience with my brain today, specifically today. It's been interesting experiences with my brain, you know, for a long time. But And in the last week, going through something... But it's but today it's I've reached this point where I am feeding myself this completely false thought. I'm feeding myself this scary thought uh, where I think I need to control something that not only do I not need I think I need a certain outcome on something that I don't know if I need a certain outcome on it. It's um really debatable. And not only do I think I need it, but I think I can control it. And so I, it's like, I, I keep having, I, I'll have a thought like, I'm so depressed because I, I, I want this thing and, and like, I'm not getting it and I want to control it. And then, then I have to go, you don't even know if it's a good thing to want. And besides, aren't you supposed to be uh, totally surrendered on everything? Um, and it's just interesting because it hasn't come up like this in a while. And, and it hasn't come up at this point in my sobriety where I'm so aware of what I'm doing. I think for a long time I would feed myself or whatever. I would think that I don't need to sound insane. I feed myself thoughts, whatever. I would have the thought, I would have the the scary or the fear-based thought that I want something and I'm not sure if I'm going to get it. And I wouldn't even know. I would have no idea that I was, uh, lying to myself or making myself miserable because I, because I could. Uh, because that's what the groove in my brain wants to do. And because honestly, I believe that's alcoholism. So now I'm at the point where I understand that I'm doing it, but it's just, it's just crazy. It's like my brain, I'll be fine. And then my brain goes, you're supposed to be depressed. 
you've got this thing going on. And then I go, then I think, no, no, you're, you're fine. Remember, you can't control this. You don't even know if you want, if it's a good thing to have anyway. It's so weird. It is so weird living like this. Um, and you know, it's not great. It's not great right at this moment, but it's certainly not terrible. So that's what's going on with me. Um, the, I'd love to introduce you to my guest today. His name is Rich Scheidner. He is a longtime comic. He uh, began in the 80s. He was on Letterman. He was on Carson. He was on Leno. He did HBO specials. He was on Married with Children. He played Al Bundy's co-worker. Do you remember that? And then he... He wrote on a bunch of TV shows, including Roseanne and um, the Jeff Foxworthy show, The Mind of the Married Man. Um, and, so, and so then he did a book uh, called I Killed that's about comedy. And then he made this documentary that I saw. And this is the thing that got me super excited to interview him. I was excited already. But please go see I Am Comic. It's on iTunes. And it's, it's, it's basically about him. It was supposed to be, it's sort of ostensibly a documentary about comedy, but the director kind of shifted and made it about him. You know how in uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop, that Banksy documentary, it starts off being a documentary about Banksy and then it kind of ends up being a documentary about that other guy. I can't remember his name or whatever his the thing he went by was, but this is like that. And it's, and it captures rich deciding to go back into comedy. I mean, I don't want to ruin it for you, but, but check it out. And, um, and he's sober over 30 years. I think that he is the reigning sobriety champion on this podcast. And, um, you know, liked his alcohol, liked a lot of other things, but, you know, and we get into that and a whole bunch of other things. So now I give you Rich Scheidner. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? We're start. We're super casually. Um, yes, we're starting. We've started. Okay, yeah. It's very dramatic. Um, I'll tell you what that is. That is this this speech. So we're talking. We're talking about this thing on my wall. I'm wondering how many people know about this. This thing that starts our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate, but that we're powerful beyond measure. And it's something that Marianne Williamson has gotten credit for. Yeah. But it was it was Nelson Mandela. Ah. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe he's got... I can't <laughs> he got if I'm going to go for source, Mandela, Marianne Williamson, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going Mandela. I know. Just as, just as a shot there. No, I think you're right. I just... I can't remember for sure. We're going to... I think... I think... I don't know if you're a gambling man, but that... I think you're safe with that bet. I'm safe with that bet. But it's... it's amazing. I mean, because it's such an interesting idea that like... We're not scared of not being enough. We're scared of being too much. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it all the time. Do you believe that? It's a great one to go with. Yeah, it is, huh? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You know, most of the time I feel like I'm Solieri. You know, I'm able to recognize greatness, but not really able to achieve it. Is, do you feel like that? Oh, yeah. Cursed with, like, ambition, but not the talent to pull it off. That's ridiculous. I'm You're just, so talented. I, but I'm telling you, that's my my feeling. That's Right. You know, self-doubt. I mean, it drives us on. I mean, that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, satisfaction kills ambition. I know. And so I don't 
complain about it anymore. I know it's just my default mode. Right, right. I mean, I, I, totally, I relate to that a lot, um, you know, of just wanting to be more talented. Yeah, better, better. Yeah. Better. Just want to be better. Yeah. Better than I am. Yeah, yeah. Which drove me out of Pennzoil, New Jersey. Well, and did it drive you out of comedy for a while? Because you're... Okay, so I love that documentary. Yeah. I Am Comic. If, if anyone has not seen it. Oh, that's nice. It was Jordan not, did a great job. Jordan Brady did well, that. Yeah, he did. A great he job. did. He, he did. did. But so did you. Yeah. D- um, I, I actually, I will tell you, I went to some trouble and expense to see it because it wasn't on Netflix. I couldn't find it on Netflix. I might have been there. I'm not that great with like tech things. I found it on iTunes. That's right. So I rented it twice. Wow. I know. That's devotion. I was so into it because like I didn't finish it one night. I thought uh-huh. whatever the rental state doesn't yeah. stay, you got to do it again. Um, but so, and that was a little bit about how you'd left comedy and it was catching you in the transition to come back. Right. Which is interesting. Right. So tell me about that. Well, when I left it, and I think it's kind of touched on it, but it really was about my kids. You know, I didn't want to be guy on the road all the time and come home to kids. It didn't, you didn't focus on that. Yeah, I did. it touched on a little bit. I didn't want to have my, my, my family in storage here, you know, yeah. and, and, and see them once a, a month or tw- twice a month. Right. While I'm on the road all the time to support them living here. Right. So right. I got into writing. I had no idea what the actual performing did for me. I sort of like did not honor it, how important it was to me to hear right. those laughs, to go out there and strive and get those laughs, and yeah. how important it was to my psyche. I did not... I found out the hard way. I mean, within months of going into the writing room on, on a Roseanne television show, mm-hmm. I was on antidepressants, which had nothing to do, I don't think. I think it was everything that kind of caught up with me over my life, but it really didn't have anything to do with the situation of the Roseanne show as opposed to the Becker show or any other show right, that right. I wrote for. It really had to do with that I needed, I needed stand-up. And so you're not on medication anymore? No. So, so stand-up is your medication? Stand-up, exercise. Well, of course, you know, my number one thing is sobriety. Yes. I have to be sober. That's yes. that's the table everything's set on. Which you were not sober when you were Oh, no, no, I shows. was sober. Right. Oh, yeah, I was right. sober. Sober. Yeah. Sober. And But 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 the sobriety, then I, a prayer, meditation, exercise, and the performance, I mean, it just does something for me. It does. It, it always made me feel... I've always felt distant and separate from people and outsider and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it brings me in the circle. How much do you... First of all, how long are you sober? Uh, May 11th, 1985, so I'll be 30 years in May Jesus 11th. Jesus Christ. And I'm older than you, too. But <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, that is a... Like, you have more sobriety. I mean, we've had people with 27 years, mm-hmm. uh, but you beat them. Yeah. Beating them is good. But how much do you think not feeling a part of is part of alcoholism? I don't know, chicken and egg for me. I don't know which yeah. came first. I, I had, you know, I had my background, my, my growing up. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. He was violent when he was drunk. Yeah. I had, uh, from the violence, I had panic attacks from the, my earliest age. I didn't recognize him as that, but that's what I had. And so I always felt that way. And I don't know whether, you know, the drink, you know, I, my panic attacks left me when I started drinking when I was around 11 or 12 years old, mm-hmm. around, around 11. Mm-hmm. And then come back until I quit drinking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Then they so came now back. you deal with them. Or I deal with them. Really? Yeah, and they're and they're 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 all manageable. It's not like the ones that maybe some people have to go to the hospital or something. I mean, I I feel like I'm in a glass coffin and I can't breathe and I'm I'm sort of locked down, laying there, and it's scary 
But I have my prayers and I have, uh, you know, the, the, the knowledge it'll pass. Yeah. Because it's passed every time. Yeah. But it doesn't, when you're in it, sometimes you're thinking, this is it. Well, when, when I'm in anything, I think that's it. <laughs> that's true. Right? I mean, isn't that <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good one, Anna. I like no, that. No, I mean, I didn't think I like that. that. No, like, no, no. I, I think this is it. And the way it's going to stay and the way I want it to stay. Yeah, well, yeah. Sometimes. I mean, any, well, well I, think good. It's, I think it's more, for me, it's more the other one where I get down and I think, it's never going to end. Even though I have tons yeah. of sober experience of yeah. it ending. That's right. This time it's different, my head says. Hey, look, just a couple of days ago, I was in the barrel. I just call it being in the barrel. It's my turn in the barrel. Right, right. Get in the barrel and go over the falls. Right, and it, that just means that it's it just, I'm, I'm, I'm going down the rat hole. And I and I try and I'm, I'm 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 getting down, getting depressed, whatever. My head's on me. I try to do everything I can to fight it, go to meetings and all, I do everything I can. But I know I just have to go through it. It's Are just, you through I'm, it? I'm, I'm an up and down person. Uh, me too. But you know, when I was in the was I was on the meds, and I, this is just my opinion. Again, I have no yeah. not a doctor, but I was in a bandwidth. It took away the lows to put a ceiling yeah. on my highs too. And that's where my creativity is. Yeah, I hear lots of people say that. And so I had to give up the creativity to put a floor to my depression and put me in a bandwidth. And it, and it I mean, you, you can ask people who've known me for a long time. And the difference was, on, I didn't realize how big it was. They did. They, they saw People it. noticed. They, they said noticed. you were less creative. I was less me. I was less me in every way. I was less me in every way. I was less vital in every way. How long were you on the meds? Uh, <sighs> 15, 16 years. Wow. I went to see all sorts of psychiatrists. I had diagnoses of PTSD. Yeah. Bipolar, clinical depression. Yeah. And uh, the hypnosis, they, they, they thought at first for a long time that my symptoms were, meant that I had been sexually abused. Yeah. I had no memories of it. Right. Did the whole thing. Hypnosis, all sorts of things to, to find out whether I had any unrecovered memories, so yeah. to speak. None. Nothing. And then this one psychiatrist said it's the symptoms are the same for violence at an early age that you had and uh, sexual the symptoms are the same for sexual abuse and that they're the same so that we, was it we have such I've had all those diagnoses and the same thing and went through every sort of hypnosis like did this happen and and it's like been deter- it's like no, no at this point we are 100% sure this did not happen to you right but it's that's a scary place to be it was. It was for a while. It was for a while. I just couldn't get out of it for a long time. Yeah. And I had, um, you know, whatever the journey was, it, 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 I stayed sober through it all, which yeah. is the important thing. Yeah. That was the important thing. So how long have you been off the meds? Uh, since 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it almost five, almost well, almost four years. And it, it's working. I'm working. It's yeah. working, man. It's working. So, okay, so tell me about when you you first started drinking at eleven or twelve. Yeah. And how how did that come to be? I mean, your dad Worked drank immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was like it was everything that everybody that, who's an alcoholic, yeah, problem drinkers ever said. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. I found the relief I was looking for my whole life. I mean, I did things alcoholic before that. Like, do you ever do the thing when you're young called knockout? Where, oh, where yeah. you would breathe real fast oh, and yeah, somebody yeah, would yeah. grab you from behind and you'd hold your breath and they'd squeeze your chest yeah. and you'd pass out from back of When I found that, I was like, I couldn't get enough people to do that to me. Come on. I want to get knocked out. I want yeah. Anything that would get me out. I was looking for a change of perception before I found alcohol. Alcohol worked immediately and it was on. It was on. 
Yeah. We did that. We did a different version where you, yeah, somebody kind of chokes you against a wall. I kind of hated it. A little updated version. Yeah, I kind of hated it. It knocked me out, and that's all I cared. Yeah. I just wanted to be out. Yeah. I wouldn't be out of myself, out of my head. <clears throat> and so it worked. And then I went through the progression of drugs like, you know, like Jager Hoover predicted I would. Like mm-hmm. the FBI said I would. I went through, you know, right up the scale. Right, know? right. Marijuana, pills, other drugs. Was other drugs, drinking your drugs. main always, meal? Always. Always like your first love. If we were doing mushrooms, I wanted to be drinking doing mushrooms. Yeah. If we were doing acid, I wanted to be doing, you know, MDMA, yeah. whatever it was. We can add alcohol to this. You can always add alcohol. But so your thing, if you mentioned those three drugs, was like a sort of more psychedelic. Oh, I no, I know, no, I like speed. I like uppers. I liked yeah. up. I didn't like downers because I wanted to be up out of my head. Yeah. And and downers, you know, like at the end, I quit pop before anything else because, you know, it just made me paranoid and 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 uh, uh, edgy, kind of skittish, skittish, you know. And Dude, we have the same constitution. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it didn't. Ugh, I yeah, so downers it. I didn't like. Yeah. I needed them when I got too high sometimes. I wanted them around, and I, I, you know, that was for that. But I'd like to be up out of my head moving fast. I yeah, like to yeah, be yeah. moving fast. I want the car going by the scenery at 1,000 miles an hour. That kind of blur. Which is interesting. Not stopped in front of the scenery. Right. Did you ever do heroin? Yeah, but I didn't like it. Yeah, I did it once. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I feel like the most quote unquote sped up seeming people are the ones that gravitate towards the speedy drugs, which yeah. you'd think it would be the That's opposite. What, no, no, it, it, because it focuses me. Yeah. Like I could, I could do speed and think I was writing, but you know, I was writing, able to yeah. write and I would have no distractions. Yeah. But other, but if I'm, if I'm sitting around, if I'm, on, if I'm smoking pot, I'm distracted by everything and I got yeah. a million things and I can't do anything. Yeah. So yeah. it's the opposite. You're right. Exactly right. You'd think that we would be attracted to the downers yeah. being high, yeah, hyperactive people, but no, we're not. Do people say to you, I can't imagine you on coke, man. Yeah. Yeah. But not anybody was around me. Because yeah. people who were around me back then, they, they know what I was like on coke. You still uh, in touch with any of those people that were around you then? The ones that are alive. Yeah. Did a lot of them die? Some of them did. Yeah. Yeah. But not, you know, not all of them because of the alcohol and drugs, but yeah, some of them did. And you know, the... the the people who, who um, you know, the alcohol and the drugs, the alcohol and the coke, they do, they, for me it worked. That was my favorite combination. Yeah. You know, Heineken, Jack Daniels, cocaine, yeah. Camel non-filter cigarettes. Yeah. That's my night. Yeah. Comedy and then that until the next time we do comedy. So do you not remember? Well, cocaine helps you remember. No, that's, you- one, that's one of the reasons why I loved it. Yeah, yeah, See, yeah. I had speed when I was in high school. I found speed, which I needed because I was a blackout drunk from the beginning. Right. And you know, there's the scariest thing. Is the blackout drunk? Yeah. I can't imagine being a woman being a blackout you know what? drinker. I never did a lot because well, I loved cocaine was my love, so I didn't do it. Were you a blackout drunk? Ish, not really. No, okay. See, if Weird, I, see, I know some women who were. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And their stories are more horrific than it's mine. True, it's right? true. Yeah. yeah. So when you wake up out of a blackout, it's scary. Yeah. So when I found speed back back then, this is I'm so much older than you, but in the seventies, it was. You know, it was white crosses and black beauties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I became a wide awake drunk, which is preferable. Yeah, yeah. Right, preferable. Absolutely. Why not be there for it? Exactly. Until it gets horrible. And we'll find something else to do. Well, so tell me about when it got horrible. Like, how long were you doing? I'm assuming it got horrible if you stopped. 20 years, 32. I was 32 when I quit. And so what made you quit? 
I, really, the truth is, I, it, it took away the thing I love more than anything. It took away the comedy. How? Okay. How? I was angry and bitter, and was no longer able to to really enjoy performing on stage. Right. And and I was not enjoying the audiences. I was yeah. not creating any really new material. And I just really was. I'd lost the one thing. You know that people talk about your bottom is. It takes away the one thing you think thought you could never live without. Right. And I didn't find comedy till I was twenty four. Yeah. And at, by eight years later, it took it away. The drugs and alcohol had taken it away, and that was the one thing I just couldn't. You know, besides the physicality, I, I mean, the physical nature that I was was bleeding where I shouldn't be bleeding, and I was throwing up. And you blood, mean like you know, bleeding internally? I was or like, I was throwing up blood, and I was yeah. there was uh, some other blood coming out of other places. Okay, you know, okay, it was fine. not fun. We don't enough, need enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you get the point. Yeah, I get it. So physically, I was a little bloated, and little little problems physically. Yeah, yeah. But um, but the main thing was it, it taken away the comedy. And so, because you were immediately successful with comedy when you... No. Yes, immediate. You I started in 77. Okay. There were no comedy clubs in Washington, D.C. I moved to New York, 79. So, what happened was, I did kind of get out of the gate fast because the comedy clubs exploded in 80. Yeah. Like in 79, no, there were like three paying comedy clubs in the whole country. Yeah. Two on the West Coast, one in Washington, D.C. Right. 1980, there are hundreds. They're yeah. popping up How like was crazy. The year, huh? So I was ready because I've been doing it for three years. I was ready to hit that wave. Yeah. There were guys like me in my generation who were ready to hit that wave. Yeah. Because I was really ambitious about how much material I would have. I always wanted to come up with new ideas, and I, that's what I felt like I was a writer more than a performer. Mm-hmm. And so when it happened, I had a lot of t- I had time. I could I could go on stage for a long time. Yeah. And that's what the clubs needed. They had packed audiences. They needed comics who could hold that audience. Right. Hold them. And so, and so, what did you start doing? So you were in New York, is that what you said, or yeah, DC? Yeah, I was living in New York. And so, what were the like Carolines? Like, what were those? Ones? No, no, Carolines didn't, didn't know them until later. later. Yeah, yeah. No, the clubs that there were Catch a Rising Star, yeah. the Improvisation, and the Comic Strip, but they weren't paying clubs. Then the clubs opened up in Canada, the Yuck Yucks in Toronto, and yeah. Montreal, and Ottawa, and Cleveland, Detroit, Washington D.C., Philadelphia, Boston. All these clubs started popping up all over the place. Yeah, and it was Atlanta. good money. Oh yeah, the money started just it doubled and it tripled. Yeah. And you'd come back and they, you could do more time. You could do the time. You could hold them. They, they wanted them there drinking. This is before the drinking laws changed for drunk driving. Oh, geez. So they would be like, let's hold them here and keep them drinking as long as possible. Right. How right. much liquor can we sell to these people? What do you mean that laws change for drunk driving? Well, like- Mad Mad, Mothers Against Drunk Driving yeah. came on in the 80s. Yeah. And I saw a change. And mm-hmm. I and it was great because I quit drinking in 85. And I saw this the change right. of attitudes. Because before that, like in the 70s, I mean, I, I did so much drunk driving in the 70s. And virtually... You know, most times you police would pull you over. You've been in an accident. Yeah, they go, "Oh, he's suffered enough. He's been in an accident." You know, let's just you know forget all the beer bottles and the, the liquor bottles right. in the floor. He's suffered enough. Don't bother with him. You know, yeah. or if you're so drunk driving, they pull you over. You've been drinking. Yeah. Well, you think you can make it home? Yeah. yeah. All right, go straight home. Don't go to the bars now. Right. Go straight home. Okay, I'm going straight home, officer. It's kind of that terrifying. happened all the time. Were there more drunk driving accidents? Do we know? No, I don't think there were more. I think there were. There may have been more, but there were there were a lot. There yeah. were a lot, and they weren't. They weren't. They weren't credited. They weren't going. Well, that was a drunk drive. No, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't. Yeah, they yeah. didn't. It wasn't like that. Yeah. There was. I mean, you really had to be out of control and do. You know, you could, you could fall out of the car with a bottle in your hand and, right. and a severed hand and, and the other one. You know. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? You really had to be. And and I. I mean, I know people got DUIs back then, but you. You had to work to get them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's interesting. My dad got him in the 70s, and he's not, I don't even think he's an alcoholic. 
But he, <laughs> well, I swear to God, and that isn't somewhere. We just said that he had to work. I think he worked for no, it. No, he worked for it. But you know, he's got a billion other issues. So, so, <laughs> so who knows? But yeah, no, I remember it was like really crazy. But I'll tell you, I got pulled up. No, no, I, I didn't. I left in after hours. This was in two thousand. Let's say it's nineteen ninety nine, and I. Um, Wasted three in the morning, cocaine, drunk. I had parked my car. I feel like I've told this story on the podcast, so I almost want to stop it for anyone who's annoyed. Oh, yeah, I've totally told it. Um, whatever, parked off of Hollywood Boulevard, like around here, lost my car, saw a cop, waved him down, <laughs> said, I lost my car, will you drive me to it? And he did. He's like, have a good night. I got in a, I was going to go see the Allman Brothers play mm-hmm. in Philadelphia in 1970. Mm hmm. Four of us in the car. I was so drunk that the other guy let me drive because he was too drunk to drive. Right. I was drunk. We got in a huge accident on a Walt Whitman Bridge in Philly. Yeah. Pile up. I broke my wrist, cut out. My hand is hanging off to the side. Yeah. I get out of the car. I'm so drunk I don't even know it. This other couple goes, look at your wrist. Whoa. Yeah. Got beer bottles and beer cans all over the floor of our car. Yeah. Right? Cop comes. I'm drunk as hell. Yeah. Goes, oh, that's too bad about your hand. Looks in there. He looks in my car. Goes, well, forget all that stuff. Let's go. Takes me to the hospital. Gets my cast set. Waits for me. I got pills from the doctor. And then takes me right to the spectrum to see the concert. Oh, my God. That's what That's a little different attitude in 1970 than maybe today. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even bother me for the drinking and the driving. I got in a crash. That's crazy. Right. That's crazy. So, okay. so, So, there you are doing comedy. Drinking and driving. No, no. See, that's the beauty about New York. New York, no, yeah. dr- no drinking and driving. Yeah. That saved my life. Yeah. Right. Then I came to L.A. I started having some problems with it. Yeah. Right. But I tried to minimize it. When you're on the road, you don't have to worry about it because people are driving you around. You have other drunks to drive you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot of more people get sober in L.A. than New York because they get sent there on a court card. The drunk driving. That's yeah. right. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. Wait a minute, I relate. I had so many whiskey dents on my car. Yeah. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and it's just like, well, that was bound to happen. Yeah. You know, bumpers hanging off, the dent on this one. Oh, I must have hit something. So, okay, so tell me about the comedy and and the drinking and all that stuff. So so it starts, boom, comedy boom. Yeah. And so you're doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. And I didn't. Drink or do drugs on stage. I mean, it happens sometimes. Yeah. But I would. It would be a mistake or an accident. Like, like you know, I was doing acid with my girlfriend and 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 camping, and we came back, and I, you know, just didn't time it right. Yeah. And I'm going stage. I'm still tripping. Or yeah. Or I was backstage. Um, I was at opening up for Peter Tosh. You know who he is? No. Peter Tosh was one of the whalers. You know who Bob Marley is? Yeah. Well, I was a huge Bob Marley fan. Okay. Eighty one Marley died. Uh, Peter Tosh a lot of the whalers started going out on the road themselves so I was an opening act for Peter Tosh so I'm backstage buddy of mine Rich Hall is a comic he warned me he said listen man whatever you do don't hang out backstage with these guys I got a contact I can barely do my show yeah. and I'm like well he doesn't he doesn't drink or do drugs like yeah. I do and yeah. I can handle this backstage one of these Rastafarians I never hung out with Rastafarians right. you know they're these dread like hey I'm funny man come over here a minute and they hand me a joint, a split, right? It's yeah. like a sawed-off baseball bat. Yeah. I never, and, it, and the pot was Jamaican. I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm used to like, you know, $20 ragweed, you know? Right. So I got so high, and I, they, they introduced me. It sounded like I was being introduced underwater, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I go to the stage, my buddy told me this. You came out of the stage laughing. The whole audience is laughing. The only thing that saved me, the audience was as high as yeah, I was. exactly. So exactly. my buddy said, you didn't do a joke for 15 minutes. You just laughed, they laughed, and you left. But you know, but but mostly it was the after hours and in between. Yeah. When I drank and did so much drugs, and it was so much available, and we, you know, we were little rock stars running around. Yeah. Doing comedy back then. Yeah. And so you'd come into town Tuesday night, maybe the first show. 
Well, every drug dealer in town is out. All the hipsters are out. Yeah. To come see your show. And you come off stage, people just be handling, you know, little snow packs, little yeah. snow seals. Yeah. Here's a gram. Here's a, just hand it to you as you yeah. walk past. Yeah. And then you go hang out with the drug dealers for a couple of days. And you never paid for much of anything you did. Well, and plus, there weren't so many com- comedians around. No, that was very rare. There were yeah. only 400 in the whole country. Right. 400 in the whole country. That's from the top, like Steve Martin... Richard Pryor down to the bottom yeah. in 79. Yeah. There's 400 in Toledo now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so we were rare, and we were, we were, that's what I'm saying. The whole thing exploded. Yeah. And Rolling Stone magazine did an article saying, you know, stand up comedy is the rock and roll of the 80s. Yeah. We were like, you know, it, it exploded. Yeah. So the first few times you come through town, people are like, wow, man, you guys are rock stars. We haven't seen anything like this. Yeah, and so and so, th- what happened from there? You started going on Leno pretty fast. Right? I did. I did. No, I did uh, Johnny Carson, Carson in '84, yeah. and then Letterman. I did everything I was supposed to do. Yeah. You know, HBO special, all that stuff. Everything I was supposed to do. TV yeah. pilots, the whole thing. Yeah, and then you. When did you start writing on those TV shows? When I quit, and you know, I got I got okay. um, um, around '94. I got you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. I had my last pilot didn't get turned into a series. Yeah, I'd had. I'd had, you know, there were only four channels. I'd had five deals. Right. So, so you know, I had twice I'd failed on CBS. My agent's like, it's not going to happen for you, man. You're yeah. not getting another You're not getting another deal. You're not getting another sitcom where you're the star. Yeah. And so I headed back out in the road, and I got, one night I'm doing this South Carolina club, and I get heckled. This guy's good, good heckle, man. Like, funny. You know, like, yeah, you can yeah, play yeah. with him. Yeah. And I got this rhythm with this guy where I play with him all night long. I do material. He'd pull back. Man, he was smart. Yeah. To let me do my material. I'd take a pause. I'd go grab water on the piano and look at him. And he'd come back and we'd play. Score huge. You know, and at the end of the night, I come off stage. I go to the club owner. I go, man, that guy was a great heckler, man. He goes, you know who that was? I go, no. He goes, it's Sean Penn. I go, what? He goes, yeah, Sean Penn, man. He wants to hang out with you. So go back That's in the crazy, office. Yeah. Sean Penn's there with these two young gals. He's, yeah. he's wired, man. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's waxed, you know. And we hang out, you know. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm hanging out with Sean Penn, man. Yeah. He gets me, man. Yeah. Five in the morning, I can't hang anymore. I'm just drinking Diet Cokes, you know. Yeah. I said, uh, I said, I gotta go, man. I gotta I gotta go, man. He said, Hey, 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 man, before you go, buddy, I got I got some advice for you. I go, Yeah, what's that? He says, You should move to LA. <laughs> I go, I've been living in LA for <laughs> for 10 years now and this guy doesn't know who, who I was right, right I right. thought he knew who I was yeah 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 you know what I'm saying right. yeah, yeah, yeah. he just thought I was the funniest guy in South Carolina that yeah, night yeah yeah I go that realized I went I'm not making a dent in this business well no, you know what I'm saying I mean, yeah, it just okay. was a, it was like a reality thing I go yeah and now I got these two you know I got a girl you know, I got a little daughter you know yeah. and, you know I, I, I gotta get off it's not this illusion you know it's not this fantasy that I'm gonna become a stand up star and go do some writing and get serious and try to you know make some money and stay home and was it a big transition to? That was a huge get, transition. To get, huge. That's what I said. To get a TV job. Right well, now? No, it was it was ridiculously easy because you knew everybody. And I called up everybody who had a show back then, and I had a lot of friends that shows. And yeah. I called up Roseanne, yeah. one of the people, and she called me back that night. And said, "You want a job? Yeah. Come to the studio tomorrow." Yeah. And I had a job. Yeah. And I, that started me going. But yeah, that so the mine was sober when I when I kind of quit doing stand up for that time period. I was sober. Yeah. But the the, the transition from being Drinking and drugging, doing stand up to sober stand up, that was huge too. Yeah. I was angry. Really? Oh my God, yeah. Because even if I was going to drink after the show, right? Yeah. I'd have Coke in my pocket. I'd have that security on, I'm going to drink afterwards. And I was detoxed. I didn't go to rehab. You didn't? 1985. No, there was rehab, but yeah. I didn't Nobody know about did it. That. Nobody yeah. did it. Yeah. It's like I was just sweating it out on a couch in, in West Hollywood, you know? And, and uh, I was angry. I'd, I'd go on stage and I'd. 
I'd throw the mic down and storm off. And I, and Bud Freeman, God bless him, man, at the improv, kept putting me on night after night. Give right. me a good spot. Right. And and I thought, man, I, I thought for a while I was done. I thought, I, I can't get over this, you know. Like a buddy of mine told me once, I was on stage and I was ranting angrily. And nobody was laughing. Yeah. And I didn't know him right at the time, but he was just one of the people in the audience. And he laughed at something I said. And I turned to him and I went, what are you laughing at? <laughs> like I was like completely out of my mind. <laughs> So wait a minute. So you decided to get sober. Was it a bad night or was it a succession of bad nights? It was a succession of succession bad nights. Succession of bad nights. Was... Why that day then? Why what day? The day you did it. Why did they decide to get sober? Yeah. It wasn't a day I decided. I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. Your body but just But I had out. to keep, but I didn't know what else to do but I side stand up. Yeah. To make a living or even what I did. I mean, stand up was who, what I was, who I was was stand up. Yeah. So the, the getting sober is like, well, I got to go back on stage, but I was ill equipped for it. You know, it was emotionally, I was, you know, you know, I mean, physically, to my, my descent, my bottom is the opposite of my recovery. You know, like. Yeah. I never had an essence of spirituality in me or any kind of belief in God yeah. from the earliest age. Yeah. I was emotionally shot. And then physically, at the end, I couldn't drink or do drugs anymore. Physically, was beaten. Right. So when I get in recovery, the first thing that comes back is the physicality. You start getting a little bounce your step. You, know, you get all the toxins out of your body. Yeah. You're not drinking and doing drugs anymore. You start yeah. feeling a little bit of power again, right? Yeah. Then emotionally... That's the next thing I had to work, and I was out of my mind. Yeah. Angry, frustrated, yeah. all the stuff that I drank and did drugs to avoid was on my back. Yeah. On my ass. Yeah. So it was hard to go up and perform, and it took me a while to get it, you know, to get it back, you know. So it, it was being sober, you know, going into meetings, and I'd be in an improv in the daytime, you know, and, and, and with a group of people trying to get sober, you know, and then I'd go back at night. Trying to make them la- another group of people laugh. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, it was just um, it was a tough transition, but it but it came and happened. You know, mm-hmm. I, I persevered because I stuck with us. So I'm going to stay sober no matter what, and I'm going to get back on stage and be funny no matter what. Yeah, what gave you that perseverance to stay sober? Desperation. Desperation. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't drink into it. I just, I just, yeah. I tried. I tried every way possible yeah. not to drink. I tried every combination. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do that. It was like classic. Yeah, it was classic. I yeah. tried every. So I, I knew it, and I got sober for a little while, mm-hmm. right, and then went out, mm-hmm. which proved to me. Yeah, you know, proved to me that I, I there's there's you know I had like one drink and I was gone again, man. Gone meaning like I like I you know it's like I'm, I tell everybody there was a benefit down in down in. Um, Austin, Texas, for a club owner, uh-huh. and one of my buddies were all there. Bill Hicks, a whole bunch of people were doing this benefit, and they're all drinking and drugging. And I drank and drugged with them for years. And yeah. I come in here going, "I'm not drinking and doing drugs. Yeah. I'm going, but I'm going to hang out and I'm going to bartend. Yeah, and I'm going to cut up the coke and do the coke lines for you. Oh, that's well, you know how that ended yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. One tray of drinks comes with an extra Heineken. I grab that and I'm gone. How long did you stay out? A week. Okay. And, it, and and the end of it was like a bad country western song. I mean, I was in a bed in this comedy condo in, in Columbia, South Carolina. And they sent, and I, I couldn't get out of bed to go to the next gig. I was so sick and so toxic. I couldn't get out. I had not slept in days. And I was just, and this young kid came and carried me in the car, put me in the backseat of a car to drive me to where it was someplace in South, some other place in South Carolina Yeah, to do this gig. And I was like throwing up and telling him, you know, stop the car, man. Right. You're going too fast. Well, right. sir, I got to do at least 55. We're on the highway, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> We're on the freeway, man. I said, no, man, slow it down. <laughs> so then, and so when did it get easier, the sobriety thing? Time. It just took time, you know. I just kept doing it, kept doing it. When I started writing new material when stuff started coming to me new that was mm-hmm. a big fear 
Mm-hmm. I think every comic goes through that fear. I don't think any musician wakes up any day and fears that they'll no longer know how to play the instrument. Like, I don't think Eric Clapton ever wakes up and goes, yeah, I don't think I can play the guitar today. Well, he got sober, so maybe he did. He did. He might have. Yeah. When he was doing it. But, but comics have that fear of, like, maybe one day I won't be funny. Yeah. Like, I could just, it's like a, you know, kind of a weird little thing, a little yeah. mixture that I'm not, maybe I could throw it off one day and lose it completely. Because they've seen other comics do that, you know, just lose the funny. Well, I think anybody in a creative field can be like, well, I may not lose the ability to write or I may not lose the ability to play guitar, but it might suck. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like same not, difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but you're right. Really, it's the same you're right. thing. You're right. You're you know, right. and I remember sitting in rehab and going, um, not, not just I was scared to write, but I figured it would be such a trigger. You know, oh, because you like because you because you like to write and get high. Well, writing in quotes, I would like you talked about with the speed. Like <laughs> I would do coke. I was like, I'm just going to do two lines, you know, get the creativity flowing, you know, whatever. And then like yeah. I, that would be okay, except I wouldn't be high enough. So then I do two more lines, and then it's like two grams, and I've rewritten the same line <laughs> thirty times. It's like The Shining, all work and no right. play makes Jill a dog girl kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It was just like. Yeah. You know that, but I thought I needed it. Yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. Even though it was entirely ineffective. Yeah. You know, it was effective at first, and by, by at first oh, I yeah. mean one night maybe. <laughs> one really, I stayed up all night writing a, a TV spec for a show I'd never seen, but it was really good. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know what I did once, I had auditioned for. They were doing an adaptation of a book called The um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, yeah, to the yeah. Galaxy, Galaxy, right? Yeah. So I had the script. Mm-hmm. I spent all night rewriting the script <laughs> for my audition the next day. <laughs> right? They High and drunk. All I got, the, I, you know, I didn't write. The writer's in the room. The guy's in the room. And so I you went in and did it? I said, this script is, I read the book. My book's great. This script's this is no good. <laughs> but I fixed it for you. Let me read my scene. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. That's my amazing. agent calls you up. What are you, out of your mind? You're like, yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Clinically, yeah, probably. But <laughs> So... Okay, and so then, and so then you you're doing. Look, you know this amazing thing we're talking about yeah. because I thought for years that the the drugs and alcohol gave me the edge. Yeah, they gave me the edge. Yeah, right, and that it was important part of the process. Yeah, that it opened doors and smashed windows and places that put me in places I couldn't go normally. Yeah, and may have done it like you said at the very beginning. May have done yeah. that for me, but at the end. When I got sober, I found out I was funny in spite of the alcohol and drugs. Yeah. And not because of them. Yeah. And that was a huge revelation. When I yeah. had that, I went, oh, I'm not looking back now. Yeah. I'm better now yeah. without the alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's strange to realize that. I mean, well, and also the edge thing, I do feel like I hear a lot. I am on medication, but like I hear people who say it's sort of similar to what you said. is like they, they fear they'll lose their edge if they get on medication. Right? Yeah. I I, it put me in a bandwidth. I don't want to say an edge because that may be talking about two different things. Yeah. But it it it, it, dulled, it dulled me down happy. a little bit. It yeah. dulled me down a little bit. You yeah. Know? And it 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 puts you in a little bit of a tighter bandwidth, which is probably necessary. And I'm not saying. I mean, some people yeah. need. I don't want anybody killing themselves. Yeah. You know, if they don't take the medication they need. But for me personally, once I got off it. Yeah. A few years ago, doing things that I hadn't been wanting to do for a long, long time, creatively. Really. That I did not do and wasn't even seeing. I think that's Ten years very courageous. I think the idea of being on meds for 15 years and getting off of it is as courageous as getting sober. To me. Well, I mean, uh, it was necessary for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, Both yeah. of them were necessary. So yeah. I really don't look at them as yeah. acts of courage, but yeah, 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 they were yeah. both really necessary, Anna. Well, it, yeah. well, it is true that you know I don't look at getting sober as an act of courage. 
I, I think people outside, you know how people outside of it are like, oh, they, so, yeah. it, so, it's so hard what you're doing. And you're like, no, the other way was hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The other compared, way. this is easy. Re- compared, yeah. you know. Or some people look at it and they go like, good for you. That yeah, kind of yeah, patronizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good for you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's good for you. Or it's, like, ugh, I speak at colleges sometimes about addiction and they'll, they'll, sometimes they'll come up and be like, I'm so sorry. Your life has been so hard kind of a thing. And I'm just like, oh, well, don't, don't pity me. Anyway, I, th- I think there's a whole thing of um, people who get sober that it's like they want applause for not doing things they shouldn't be doing anyway. Right. You mean you're not getting drunk right. and driving through a school zone at 100 miles an hour? Right. How about a stand ovation for that car? Right? I know, I know. It's true. Like, I do remember that at first. At first, of all, first of all, I want a standing ovation for everything. <laughs> like, well. I, I, I do. I recently went to, like, court to take care of a traffic, like, moon uh-huh. violation. Uh-huh. I wanted a fucking medal. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's because it's, it's, it's like this, this just immaturity. Yeah, that's true. It's you true. know? I, I'm, I'm, that, I, I'm that way. And you'd think at 62, I wouldn't be that immature anymore. You look good, dude. But, but uh, 62. I'm putting up a good shell. Yeah, I mean, if it's Hollywood, a Hollywood storefront, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but so yoga, I think, is my new. Oh, is that your new addiction? New th- as they say, yeah. it's no. not a new addiction, but I've added it. You know, for years I just did push ups and sit ups and ran. Yeah, a classic, you know, seventies dude. Dude shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exercise. Yeah. But I got convinced to try yoga a few years ago. I see the point. You do. I see the point. It yeah. stretches me. Yeah, and it and it, and it and it does a different thing, you know. With this, with the uh, instead of like, you know, moving a hundred miles an hour, it causes me to concentrate in a different way. Yeah, and it's great, and it stretches me. So, so it stretches me physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's good. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting. I did it. I've done it enough, but it, it physically, I, it, I, it's bad for my. Oh, back. Whatever you're doing, you keep doing. Well, thank you. Thank Speaking you, but, of looking good. But, oh, thank you. You guys, guys you. out there don't know, this woman is very, very pretty. Oh, you're very sweet. You're just, you know. I say it in a fatherly way. Yes. <laughs> but, She's blushing now. Yeah, yeah, ah. You know what? I don't really blush. Am I really blushing? Yeah, you are. It's hard to make me blush. Good job, dude. <laughs> Came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I did. I, I didn't know I was capable. Yeah, you should have seen your body language. That, I believe. My yeah. body language is very expressive. Yeah. You, know? you went very like, oh, very shy. It, well, I love a compliment, so let's uh, don't miss Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Don't but, stop with a compliment. Please, please. <laughs> I have no fear there. But but I do think, oh, yeah, whatever. It does, it's not that interesting. But yoga hurt my back, even though it's supposed yeah. to be like, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm injury prone, you know? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And it's interesting. I was just talking to one of my, I didn't even explain. This is all part of a website. See, I love you. Okay, so you asked no questions. You just said yes. Yes. You came in here, which I love and appreciate. Well, so I grateful. told you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Da- they know about Danielle. Stewart. Yeah, Danielle. She's Danielle. been on the podcast and she writes. A She's ton. great. I, Amazing. I, I, I really dig her. And she yeah. said, hey, do this thing. Yeah. You said Danielle Stewart at the, when yeah. you emailed her. I'm, like, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but oh, so anyway, this is part of a website that's all about addiction and recovery that I edit, that I created, and that I sold. So I'm actually. Oh, wow. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And so those people out there work for me. Wow! And, no, just those two. I Which love ones? The, the the people that are working the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> right over there, the guy and the and the girl over there with the little right. red curly little hair. Little red curly, yeah, red blouse yeah, yeah. And curly hair. Yeah, Very yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I like cute people. You know, you got them. So, you got them. So, but anyway, what was my my point? I so had one. 
Who knows? Who knows? It'll come around again. It'll come around again, but it had something to do with how this podcast is part of the site, and I post one of these every week. Okay. So it's just like one of the things. Cool. Um, yeah, oh, oh, I know what I was trying to say. So Ryan and I were talking about chronic pain, because we were talking about how some rehabs treat chronic pain, and he was like, well, what does that mean? You know, because chronic people with chronic pain and the opiates and the painkillers is a real thing out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, I, anyway, I have some of it and I have to do like all that other shit. Yeah. It, it, it's, again, we get into addiction of it. Like I said, I wasn't a pill head. Yeah. But a, a, a friend of mine died behind that. Yeah. And part of his thing, he would have these phantom pains. Yeah. I've got a bad knee, How Rich. Do you I know? got it. Because he, because he didn't and phantom? he wouldn't. And he gets sober for a while and he go, I go, he'd be walking around and go, how's your knee? It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's yeah, fine, yeah. man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, oh yeah, but when you when you're getting high or you want to get high, all of a sudden these injuries manifest themselves. Yeah, almost providentially. It's more than just a coincidence. His mind, totally. his mind seemed to manufacture. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. No, so I the, think that he happens. would get the drugs the mind wanted. I don't know. I'm I'm not that deep of a. I'm not that deep of anything, but <laughs> but not a psychiatrist or anything. But, right. Not, not, but, it, you know. but I'm just watching, watched his, his thing, and, and there's something there. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I, I had to take painkillers in sobriety because mine, and, and it. People will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. have and to. I hated and it. Have to, yeah, I right? I hated it. Yeah. Made me so depressed. You got to get, um, people have to have somebody else kind of hold the meds for yeah. them and all sorts of things to, yeah. to, because people have gone out. Oh. God, and yeah. kill themselves behind that sort of thing, but yeah, yeah, and it made you depressed, huh? Yeah, it was a huge decision to do it, and um, you know, obviously, and it was such a, it was such a. I had told my doctor I was sober, my orthopedic, and so then when the pain didn't go away, three months can't walk, all this stuff. I go to him, look, I'm ready, I'm ready, give them to me, and he knew I was. I told him I was sober, so he was totally suspect and sent me to a pain management clinic that was the shadiest place you have ever <laughs> seen. You had it was a, a guy who was not an MD prescribed me the medication. Like that's how shady it was, and they drug test you when you go there. I mean, it's like so bad. And then and then farm a lot of pharmacies don't carry opiates anymore because they don't want to get robbed. So you got to go to a really shady place to even get it filled. It's a whole thing. Wow. Now. Wow. But just, I know they're trying to crack down on it because there's so much. Yeah, but totally. The, but then again, there's so much heroin in the country that, that I'm not really that well versed. But as I understand it, heroin in the street is cheaper than oxycotton and easier to get. Easier to get, exactly. Yeah, no, that's the real yeah. crisis today. Right. So I, I don't. I mean, it's all whatever you want, you're gonna find. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. I never really had any trouble finding no. anything. No. You know. No. no. So okay, wait. What were we trying to talk? What was I trying to get you to talk about? I think okay. So I want to talk about I am comic. Okay. So how did that come about? Well, I, I uh, put out a book with a friend, of, uh, uh, Mark Schiff, and I put out a book called I Killed. Yeah. Uh, and it was about road stories, comic road stories. Yeah. And Jordan Brady saw that, read that, and Jordan and I knew each other from doing stand up a long time ago. And Jordan's a director now, mm-hmm. and uh, he came up to me and said, "I want to do a movie about stand up." Mm-hmm. I said, "I just don't want to do a book about stand up stories." Mm-hmm. But if we can get into the essence of what it really takes to do stand-up mm-hmm. and what it's about, mm-hmm. the things behind it, mm-hmm. what the stand-ups get out of it, all that sort of thing, then yeah, I'm in. And he said, all right, let's do it. So we did it. So we were doing it, and Jordan instinctually knew he needed more to the story than that. Yeah. So he just saw my expression a couple of times. We'd be watching 
comics perform, and I hadn't been in the clubs in a long time. Yeah. I'd avoided it for good reason. Yeah. Right? I avoided stand-up. Now I'm back in it. You, you know, to interview these comics. Because of the travel. I, I'm sure, I'm sure. No, no, I avoided it because I'd quit doing it. Yeah. And it would probably be too painful as turned out to be exactly that to watch it and not do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't watch it on TV. I didn't go out to the clubs to watch comics. Yeah. I just avoided it. Yeah. And so now I'm sitting in there and, we're, and some nights we'd go watch shows yeah. and then interview comics after the show. And you showed all that. In the, right. So one night I'm the, sitting yeah. there and he just looked at my face and went, yeah, you want to do it, don't you? I said, yeah, yeah I think uh, I'm kind of missing it right now. I'd like to get a bite out of this audience myself. Yeah. And that yeah. started it. And I didn't even want to go back. And then once we decided to do it, and once he said, come on, go do it. Yeah. Then I knew kind of what was going to happen. I knew I was going to bomb something because I wasn't going to go do my own material. Right. I said, I'm going to do something different. I got to do something new. Then let's build something new. And then you came up with that joke. Keep going. The, you know, one about after. wanting to kill the wife or whatever. <laughs> you know, what's one, the joke? One, I don't know which one it was. Oh, come on. You talked about it a lot in the, in the documentary. I'm, I'm, okay. Gosh. It's the one about how, like, how you know, you, you're truly in love and then you don't understand that one day you're going to oh, be like, Oh, no. That's, that, but that's, that's an old joke. That, I don't know okay. if I did that joke or not, but that joke was the first joke I got when I got sober. Yeah. That's the oh, first okay. joke. Okay. That's important in that joke because yeah. I, I thought I'd never going to write another funny joke. Yeah. And I was out jogging. I, a friend of mine yeah. said, why don't you start jogging? Start running again. And I was smoking heavy, you know, even yeah. when I was sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sober. And so I would run with like cigarettes in my sock. You yeah, know, I'd well, stop every couple of feet to light a cigarette. cigarette. It's but like I, William Hurt's body. Exactly. Heat. Exactly <laughs> what I thought about. So um, one day this joke just landed in front of me. Yeah. And I took it to the improv that night and it worked. I said, you know, no matter how much you love each other, no matter how much you need each other, it's going to be this moment same relationship where one may look at the other person and think to yourself, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Yeah. And your next thought could be, how can I fake my death? <laughs> right? And it worked, and it got me back on The Tonight Show. It did a lot of things for me. That joke sort of keyed a whole bunch of other new stuff behind it, kind of like that. So, and that, that's an interesting thing because it sort of sparks the question, do you think that came from like a divine power, like a higher power? You know what I mean? Like, do you think, do you believe in like that? Like a reward for being sober or, well, who knows? or to help all, me? I out? do believe in that. Uh, Even yeah. though I don't, like, I totally believe that, that the universe is like, you're doing the right thing. I'm going to give you this. Well, I don't know. I just know when I got sober, I got a new clarity and, and my thinking got a little bit better yeah and it got and i was able to cognitively put things together in a better way in a different way and look at things differently and yeah so it's, it was reward for being sober but i i i don't have that kind of a god you know yeah. i grew up with that rewarding punishing yeah. god you know mine's just rewarding He's oh. i'm serious i'm serious i got to make him up you got the yin no yang huh? yeah okay yeah but uh i i i grew up uh you know with a, in a baptist yeah uh, so i had to drop both yeah, I could not just have the one. Yeah, so I dropped them both. So I don't have that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I get it. You know, how does your higher power? Do you call it higher power? Do you call it God? My my basic like? belief is that I don't understand everything. That's my basic belief. You don't understand. I don't understand everything. And so, so anything's possible. Yeah. Because I don't understand it all. Yeah. So I don't have to like worry about it if I don't understand everything. Yeah. I'm not trying to control it because I there is no ability of me to control anything or everything. Right. So in terms of belief system, because every religion is just a system of beliefs to explain the unexplainable. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about trying to explain the unexplainable. I just accept it. Yeah. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Yeah. And there's something working out there that's beyond my concept. That's what always cracks me up. It's like 
What are you talking about these gods? Like in a movie, they never get heaven right in a movie. They, they can never get it right because our imaginations are tied to human form. Yeah, That's yeah, That's why yeah. they always have a, in a movie, in a heaven scene, they'll have a gazebo. A gazebo, really? <laughs> you mean the creator of the universe, the best the creator of the universe come up for you to hang out with is a gazebo? Right. Don't you think he'd create something you could not have any concept that this could possibly right. exist? Of course, well, no, you can't. can't come up with it because yeah, your yeah, imagination is yeah. limited to gazebo. Yeah, yeah, Wouldn't yeah. it be cool we hung out in a gazebo in heaven? <laughs> And a train would come by. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, I'm just saying. But that's 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 always cracks me up. So that's why they can never do any kind of effect of heaven in any kind of movie scene, really, because it's all tied to human form. Yeah, that's like you know early Christianity. The best we do. What's heaven going to be? Angels playing harps. Why? Because I like a guy playing a harp. I think that's kind of cool. So I'm going to put a harp player in heaven. If the guy didn't like harps, it could have made it something else. Yeah, Angel uh, playing a, a Jew's harp. Right. Why? I like Jew's harps. That's why. I, right, you know, right. It's all tied to our own imagination. So I, I just try to go with a, some sort of God higher power thing that's beyond my understanding. Do you believe that helped you get sober? Helped me stay sober. Mm-hmm. What got me sober was the knowledge in my gut, in my very center and core of my lizard brain, mm-hmm. that I could not drink without and, and control the consequences. I could not start to drink and then effectively know whether I was going to stop or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could not start to do drugs and have any idea what was going to happen. I knew I could no longer control my drinking or drugging. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what got me sober. And I didn't want it anymore. It was ruining my life in every possible way. My, my marriage was, a, was terrible. Mm-hmm. My, everything was bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the marriage ended anyway, but at least... I did it sober. Yeah. <laughs> it expedited it. Yeah, it did. Did you? Um, <laughs> you, you wake up and you go, whoa, what? What did I do? Yeah. How, yeah. How long were you married? Uh, that, that marriage. I was married. I've been married twice. Oh, that's right. You were married to twice. Carol. Um, yeah, Leifer. Yeah. Right. So that marriage lasted from 81 to, I think the divorce was finalized in like 85, 86, something like that. Right, right. Do, okay, so, but what's interesting, what you said is that you credit this this higher power or whatever with helping you stay sober. Do you do you have temptations to drink? No. Yeah. Do you think no. that's what it is? I mean because it doesn't really No, because I focus on it all the time. And I and I, I do certain things every day. Certain prayers and yeah. and I go hang out with certain people. Yeah. And I do certain things every day to put a focus on the fact that I can't drink or do drugs effectively. Do right? I mean yes. So but- that's what keeps me sober. Yeah. And I and I do give all 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 control over to this other person, which helps me right. to stay sober. This other person, this other thing, this yeah, other yeah, yeah. universe, whatever it is, yeah. I don't worry about it. Yeah, that. Yeah, I just realized it's not me. That was like one of the things I was taught when I when I first got sober. Somebody said, "Because we your concept of God, I have none. All you have to do is know that you're not God." Yeah. Go, okay, that's a good place for me to start. Yeah. Why not? Right. So that's, Why not? That's that's it. I just know for me, I find it really hard. I do my practice in the morning, my like meditation, my prayer, and then within. Three minutes, I can absolutely forget everything that I knew for sure three minutes before. Uh, traffic will do that to you in LA. You know that. Oh, my thoughts will do it to me faster than traffic. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I'm constantly calibrating. I'm yeah. constantly calibrating. Yeah. It's not like I set the thing on the dial on five and walk out the door and it's five yeah. an hour later or it's five when I come back. Right. The needle's constantly swinging and I'm constantly adjusting. So, it's like tuning in Tokyo in World War II. Come in, Tokyo. I'm just right. constantly. Turn it into dial, you know. Yeah, I mean, okay, sorry, I'm obsessing over this because I'm doing it today, like a thing that I've got that's in my mind, and I'm so aware of my monkey mind, kind of continuing to go back to this groove that's a a lie, 
be totally fear-based. Not a lie. Fear-based and, and I can't control it anyway. Do you find that where like yeah. constantly, like every 30 there's seconds. So many great, there's so many great metaphors for this, but I heard a great one in Tennessee years ago at a meeting there. What's that? Guy says, I have all these thoughts every day. They come, they come, Nick. I can't control them. It's like sitting on the porch and watching traffic go by in the street. Yeah. If I just watch them go by, hey, that's an interesting car. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting motorcycle. Well, that's an interesting truck. Look at that car. Yeah. They're not a problem to me. It's when I try to grab one of the handles on the car that's going past yeah. Yeah. and hold on to that car, yeah. that thought, then it becomes a problem. And the one thing I learned oh, from this guy good. a long time ago, he said, um, Whenever my mind tells me things, and it tells me a lot of things during the day, and most of it not good, especially about myself. Yeah. My first question to that voice is, where are you getting your information? Right. Where, is the, where are you getting this information? Right. And that voice usually shuts up, doesn't come back. Yeah. Because it's, it's a voice. It's an old voice. It's... That's our. That's. Our <laughs> okay, I gave us a little extra time so we can wrap up. But this. Okay. Is, how fun is this? Oh, I'm having a blast. You're you're great. Well, so likewise. So okay. So and and so right now, what are you? You're doing a one man show. Now I'm, I'm writing a script uh, for HBO for Bill Maher, based on a book that he did called True Story. Yeah. So I'm doing that, and I'm writing a book on the '80s comedy. Okay. Explosion. So I'm just doing writing and performing. You know, it's just a performing. I do stand-up all the time. Yeah. Most of it's, you know, age-based country clubs and cruise ships. It's, you know, circling the drain comedy well, tour. cruises are fun. They're all fun. It's all good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not like I'm doing it to get ahead or, or I'm working on my next Jimmy Fallon set right. or anything like that. Right. I understand what I'm doing. It's okay. It's fun. And you I do still enjoy it. And you do recovery comedy thing, I do which that I too. find very interesting. I do that do sometimes. Do you enjoy that? I love what... But look... You're working in front of the people who get you, and you get them. Yeah. There's no better crowd for a comic. Yeah. I know who these people are. If I'm standing and performing in front of a bunch of people who are used to drink and do drugs like crazy and now don't a yeah. day at a time, yeah. I know these people because they're me. Yeah. So the jokes I can do for them are like no, I can do for no other crowd in the world. And it's let's face it, they love to laugh. Oh my God! So you know? we got only a couple of things left. That's one of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's the only thing we can do in a group in public with our clothes on. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, you get shy again. There she goes again. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, so, okay, so any final words for people out there who are, you know, uh, thinking about getting sober and might need to get sober, and you know, any words of wisdom? Yeah, don't let anybody stop you. Yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking about sober, I mean, I, I can't, you know, my brother's not an alcoholic. Yeah. He never remembers the last beer he has. Yeah. He doesn't think about when he's going to have the next one. Yeah. Getting sober is not even... What do you mean getting sober? He, he's, yeah. There's nothing to think about. Yeah. But if you're thinking about getting That's sober, you need to get sober. If yeah. you're just thinking about it, yeah. you need to get sober. That's so brilliant, too, because it's like, you know, yeah, why, why are you checking it out? Yeah. I mean, they're probably... If, if somebody's well, thinking about it, he's been told by other people. I was told by other people I was an alcoholic long before I was willing to admit it myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that being said, I do want to make an amendment to that. I, you know, I do think there are people who, you know, because recovery is such a big topic these days. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. There could be exceptions. You get enough people, strangers and friends alike, yeah. that over the years have told you you may have a problem the way yeah, you drink, yeah. you have a problem the way you act when you're on drugs. Yeah, let's believe You it. might want to hear the chorus. You yeah. might want to go, you know, none of these people know each other. Some of them didn't even really know me. Yeah. They're just yeah. somebody I ran into and went, wow, pal. You know? Yeah. Or, or I like when you say dude. 
dude, I go through phases. I go through phases of saying, dude. No, I like it. It's kind so like, of hey, dude, you I got like a little it. problem. Yeah, dude. Do you know, like the most, the phrase I heard more than anything when I was out there drinking and drugging? What? What are you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking anything. I was just doing what I wanted to do. I you know? love it. Okay, well, that's a good note to end on. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. I so appreciate your doing this. So that was Rich Scheidner. Hope you loved him, it, this podcast. Uh, please keep sending me emails, Anna, at theafterpartygroup.com. I love them, and I respond to them, and sometimes I'll shout them out here. So do that. Uh, keep uh, listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review if you can, and I will see you next time. Thank you.